And welcome into the Most Accurate Podcast. It's episode number 26. It's the Monday edition of the Most Accurate Podcast. Uh, alongside me is John Paulson. I'm Anthony Stalter, 444.com's senior editor, John Paulson. How are we doing today, JP? I'm doing pretty good, Anthony, all things considered. How are you doing? Uh, not good, because I invested three hours to watch my team last night get its ass kicked by the Patriots. And um, I kept thinking to myself, well, hey, we're down 28-3 to in the Super Bowl. Why can't we erase a 17 nothing deficit? And... Um, that was just wishful thinking. I don't know how you spend the entire offseason thinking about that Super Bowl and hearing about the collapse and then put forth next to no effort last night in Foxborough. But maybe that's just me. I guess that's just you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I could go on for about two hours on that, but let's move on. What, what, uh, what music brought us in today? This is a, a B-side from The Killers. Uh, they had an album back in, I think it was 2004, Hot Fuss, their debut album. There's about four or five B-sides that didn't make the album that I thought were better than the second half of that album. And this is my favorite one. It's called Who Let You Go? Uh, you can find it on uh, their B-sides compilation, Sawdust, which came out a few years later. Um, and it's a really good track. I also added it to the Most Accurate Podcast playlist, which, by the way, Anthony, has I just looked, it has 600 followers on it. On really? Spotify. No it's kidding. Pretty impressive, yeah. That is pretty impressive. Well, thank you for, if you did that, thank you for uh, not only listening to the podcast, but also subscribing to uh, the music on iTunes. Let's dive into the injuries from week seven. We'll start off with Carson Palmer. He suffered a broken arm. He's going to be out six to eight weeks. He suffered that arm injury against the Rams in week seven out in London. He was hit and that led to an interception. And then after that hit, Palmer Palmer was seen holding his arm and he, then he was taken for testing and it looks like he, he broke his arm. So Drew Stanton steps in and I guess the most pertinent question here, because I don't think a lot of people had Carson Palmer starting for them, is what's the effect on guys like Larry Fitzgerald? Well, it's a downgrade across the board for the entire passing game. It also hurts Adrian Peterson because the threat of the passing game is is less, and they can, uh, you know, defenses can focus on on him a little bit more as well. This is just a a bad thing for the entire Arizona offense. That's all I really can say about it. All right, we'll move on to Delaney Walker, the tight end for the Titans. He sprained his ankle. He's going to be week to week. He was actually seen on crutches after Sunday's win over the Browns due to that ankle injury. Um, talk to us about Smith. What do you think about Walker's playing status moving forward? Do you think that Smith is is a viable starting option if Delaney Walker's out? Uh, I would say he is. Uh, this week he got to play 60-70% of the snaps and didn't do much. Uh, in previous games he's had some big plays, uh, playing very limited snaps, but maybe if he if he comes out of the bye, it was a bye week eight, so uh, Walker has an extra week now to recover. I would say that um, – being on crutches after the game is not a, a death kneel to his availability, potential availability in week nine. They could just be uh, being very cautious with his putting weight on the, the ankle uh, heading into the bye. Uh, so he could he could very well play in week nine, but if he doesn't, uh, Smith's not a bad streaming option there. Uh, he's going to play quite a bit, but he, he got to understand that he's a, a young player and may not come out and, and get the same sort of uh, – workload that Walker gets uh, on a week-to-week basis. We just got done talking about Carson Palmer, and, and you said, hey, listen, Drew Stanton's going to be a downgrade all the way across the board. I wonder if it's the same thing with Jay Cutler now that he's going to be out two to three weeks. He possibly broke his ribs yesterday in that victory against the Jets. Matt Moore came in, and while it took him a drive or two to kind of shake off the rust, he threw for two touchdown passes. Both went to Kenny Stills. Uh, I don't see this being a downgrade. Do you agree? I agree. The I think I tweeted uh, some stats when they signed Cutler. Uh, 
uh, comparing Cutler's last couple years to Matt Moore, and they're basically the same in terms of efficiency, the same type of quarterback. So this is, I mean, this is just a difference between Carson Palmer and how important he is to that Arizona offense and, you know, the way he can throw the ball versus Jay Cutler. Um, There's a significant difference there. And then on the flip side, Matt Moore, I think, is one of the better backups in the league. Uh, They could have turned to him instead of signing Cutler and probably be in the same situation they are now. Um, He has an okay okay schedule coming up. Uh, The next two weeks he's got at Baltimore, which is not good necessarily, but it's sort of mediocre. And then he's got Oakland at home. Uh, the following week, and that's that's a definitely a streaming spot for him. Um, so if Cutler's going to miss two weeks, um, and you're trying, to, you know, you lost Palmer or you lost Aaron Rodgers, and you're trying to stream the position, you know, look at look at Matt Moore in Week Nine against Oakland. I want to bring up two players, and they play for different teams, but it's I think it's an interesting situation for fantasy owners. It, it applies. Leonard Fournette, he was inactive yesterday. Chris Ivory stepped in, did a pretty good job. He has a buy in week eight. I also want to mention Stefan Diggs. Now, Stefan Diggs was inactive yesterday, but he has a week, uh, a bye week coming up in week nine. So I wonder, John, when you look at Leonard Fournette, did the Jaguars hold him out because they know they have their bye week coming up? And therefore, do you think the Vikings could hold out Stefan Diggs with their bye week coming up in two weeks? Yeah, and I thought that DeMarco Murray would be held out this last week for the same reason, but he wasn't. He ended up playing and getting more touches than Derrick Henry, and Henry didn't do very much in the work that he had, uh, which was a disappointing uh, finish for him and his owners. But uh, I think Fournette will be fine coming out of the bye. From what I've uh, read about his injury, it was mainly like a basketball sprain. I think in, you know, he'll have, at this point, three full weeks here to recover before his next game. Uh, in week nine, and he should be uh, he should be in. Uh, that that was an interesting game with T.J. Yeldon coming off of the inactive list. Basically, he's been in a healthy scratch all year, and you know I was pretty high on uh, Chris Ivory, and Ivory got the touchdown to start the game, uh, but didn't run particularly well compared to uh, Yeldon, who ran really well, uh, broke a big I think it was a 58 yarder. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see coming out of the bye if Yeldon starts to get active again um, or if he goes back to the inactive list because uh, he is a, a good receiver and a good versatile backup running back at this point. I mean, we're looking at him as a starter a couple years ago, but now he's looking like a backup, a quality backup at that. Uh, as for Diggs, he's got this groin injury. He hasn't practiced in two weeks. Um, you know, they're, uh, the Vikings are not doing too badly. They're what is it five and two five and six and two now or five and two five and two so you know green bay uh is floundering detroit's three and three so minnesota could look at this like uh we're still winning without uh digs we don't want to put you know bring him back too soon let him fully heal if they can and then you know bring him back in week 10 so we'll see how he uh his practice participation in week eight if he starts to get limited practices and then maybe look at him as a, a possible play um but if he continues to be uh, a non-participant in practice, then he's unlikely to play in Week 8. And you have to remember, too, he's one that has not played well through injury. Uh, last year, his his injury splits, or his splits when he was on the injury report and when he wasn't on the injury report were very stark, uh, you know, 40, 50 yards you know, receiving when he was on the injury report, over 100 yards uh, receiving when he was off the injury report. So uh, that's where we're at with Diggs. 
I want to talk to you about the latest RBBC, uh, RBBC situations around the league, but first let me tell you about Draft. It's not too late to download the highest-rated fantasy football app. It's called Draft, and you can play in real live snake drafts and be done in under five minutes, and they last for just one week. Drafts start every couple of minutes, so you can join one right now and get a jump on the Week 8 action. The best part is you can play for real money, and get this, your chances of winning are actually 80% better than on those salary cap sites. All new players get free entry in a real money draft when you make your first deposit. You have to use our promo code 4 for 4 and you can play for real money for free just using that promo code 4 for 4 That's the number 4, F-O-R, and the number 4. And it gets even better. Draft is so sure that you are absolutely going to love their app that they're offering the most accurate podcast listeners a money-back guarantee of up to $100. You can play if you don't like it for some reason, although John and I both think you will. You can get that money-back guarantee up to $100. Just search Draft in your app store, or you could, or you could go to Draft.com and make sure that you play for free right now using that promo code that I mentioned, 4 for 4. RBBC situations. I want to start off with your Packers, John. Ty Montgomery took a backseat to Aaron Jones yesterday. He only rushed four times for six yards in that loss to the Saints. Aaron Jones absolutely seized control of his opportunity. He outtouched Montgomery 20 to to 5 and he outgained him 138 to 15. Is this the backfield combination that we should see moving forward in Green Bay? Yeah, and it's kind of shocking that the depth chart has changed so swiftly under Mike McCarthy who is notoriously stubborn about altering his depth chart uh, in any way or even in minor increments it takes usually takes several weeks of one player out playing another for him to to make the switch but if this were you know Montgomery's first game back from the rib injury I might chalk this up to okay well they're trying to you know ease him back in but he saw significantly fewer touches than he did last week Um, they're heading into their week eight bye as well this definitely looks like Jones has the backfield now uh, and is the primary back Uh, so I I would treat him as a you know an art fancy RB2 uh, heading forward, the, there's some issues here with the whole entire Packer offense with no Aaron Rodgers, um, but they are more likely to try to run the ball more consistently than they have in, in years past. They're not going to be as quick to abandon it if it isn't going well because uh, they don't have Aaron Rodgers back there uh, throwing the ball. So um, certainly Jones looks, uh, his stock's up and Montgomery's stock is down. Let's stay in the NFC North and talk about the Vikings' backfield situation. Jarek McKinnon was the hero a week ago. He didn't have a horrible game yesterday. He rushed 14 times for 47 yards, and he also caught three of three targets for 10 yards. Certainly nowhere near the production that he put up in Week 7. But Latavius Murray, he did play the role of hero. He had 18 carries for 113 yards and a touchdown in that win over the Ravens. I guess the question is... When you look at McKinnon and Murray, are they both flex options moving forward? Yeah, I still prefer McKinnon. I think this the, the lesson here is that Murray's going to get his you know twelve to sixteen, twelve to eighteen carries regardless of how he's doing. Because last week he you know had a a very so-so game and you know wasn't getting much done on the ground. Even with the six point whatever yards per carry that he had yesterday. He's still only averaging 3.56 yards per carry in the year, so he's been, you know, outplayed significantly by McKinnon. Um, but you know, since the Dalvin Cook injury, you know, he's got 12 carries, 15 carries, 18 carries for from Murray, so he will be involved. And as long as they're not playing a really stout rush defense, he should 
uh, be a decent flex play. I still prefer McKinnon due to his playmaking ability, both in the running game and as a receiver. He's significantly better uh, as a receiver than, than Murray is. Let's talk about the Seahawks now. Eddie Lacy rushed thirty-four, um, th- rushed for thirty-four yards on eleven carries. He also caught his lone target for nine yards. Thomas Rawls, meanwhile, went for thirty-six yards and eleven carries. He caught one of two targets from sixteen yards. He had a couple of goal line opportunities. He lost a fumble as well. I don't really know what to make of Seattle's backfield. I would like to say, hey, just avoid the situation. But as we know, John, not all fantasy owners can can avoid it as injuries and bye weeks start to mount. Do you like either Rawls or Eddie Lacy, given given matchups? Who's got the more, the more upside? Uh, what do you see in Seattle? Uh, I see. I look at their uh, our running back by committee report, RBBC report, and it just basically gives me a headache uh, <laughs> looking at it. I this is a situation to avoid because you have two two running backs splitting carries on first and second down, and then you have a, th- a third down running back, and it's JD McKissick right now, but it's going to be CJ Proceeds Proceeds probably uh, coming in and you know getting some receptions here and there, but they're not utilizing the, the running backs a lot in the in the passing game. Uh, as a team, the running backs are only averaging 3.52 yards um, per carry, and that's with Chris Carson in there, who was you know averaging 4.24 yards per carry. So the rest of these guys are really underperforming. They're not they're not productive. Uh, so this is a situation to avoid, as, if at all possible. Um, if they have a real easy uh, matchup, you could run Lacey or Rawls out there and hope you get 50 yards and, and a touchdown. Uh, but you're you know that that's almost a miracle at this point. We're figuring out who that's going to be, and getting that on a weekly basis. Speaking of headaches, uh, the New England Patriots. He had Rex Burkhead. He rushed six times for 31 yards, and a lot of those carries came in the first half. He had James White. He rushed four times for 19 yards. He also caught five passes for 28 yards. Mike Gillisley had eight carries for 31 yards. He did. He got a goal line carry. Couldn't get it in. And then of course you have Deion Lewis, who rushed 13 times for 76 yards in that victory over the Falcons last night. He also led the backfield with 26 snaps. Who's, who is fantasy viable in this offense and who is not? Well, I had this sort of, you know, you said it's a nightmare backfield, and I guess it is, but I had Deion Lewis and James White ranked the highest. I just felt like this this backfield was moving in Deion Lewis's direction, and it, did, it turned out that way. He didn't get the touchdown, but he did have two carries inside the 10. Gillisley had the one that you mentioned at the one and had a uh, minus two-yard uh, rush. Lewis got... Two carries, I had uh, four yards gained on each of them, so they were you know from a little bit further out. And then James White got one uh, inside the ten carry. So that's when you're trying to decipher what's the, the fantasy value of these backs. You're, you're looking at PPR value, which is pretty much James White. Uh, Deion Lewis is not very involved in the passing game either. Um, and then you're looking at who's getting the most carries and who's getting the the goal line carries. And right now. Uh, it favors Deion Lewis. Now, if he fumbles or something, then Gillisley might get another chance. But, you know, Gillisley did have a chance to punch it in from the one and failed. So does that make him more or less likely to get uh, uh, the one-yard uh, carry uh, next week? I don't know. This is, you know, you're trying to go into the mind of the, of the Patriots uh, uh, in this situation. It's tough. But I would say that moving forward, you've got Lewis as your primary ball carrier, and you've got White as your PPR back. Um, but this could change any moment, so you just have to understand that when you when you run Lewis out there, that you you might end up with a clunker because they have four good running backs and they're trying to uh, trying to rotate them all. 
They also love versatility in New England, and Rex Burkhead honestly offers them the most versatility in terms of you know what what they're showing the defense. So that's that's not fantasy. That's not a fantasy related comment, but it does kind of factor in because they're gonna they're still gonna use Burkhead a lot. So that and he's he's probably the least likely to to be a fantasy option for you. So it's just kind of it's a convoluted situation. But I thought you brought that brought that down perfectly, John. Let's move on to the Ravens. Buck Allen, obviously, he's gonna be a flex play in a flex option in PPR leagues. He, he had eight of 11, caught eight of 11 targets. He, he only had 29 yards, but those eight receptions in a PPR league were obviously great. He also rushed six times for 20 yards. My question is, Alex Collins rushed 10 times for 30 yards. He's technically the lead back, but he's not scoring touchdowns and he's not involved in the passing game. So should, should Alex Collins just remain on owner's bench? Uh, well, I, I think it depends somewhat on the, the matchup that they have in the running game and you know, they had a, a, a few decent ones there where he was, you know, Jacksonville, not very good against the run, had 82 yards against them. Pittsburgh's pretty good against the run. He had 82 yards against them. Oakland, not very good against the run, 55 yards. And then Chicago, mediocre against the run, 74 yards. And then got up against Minnesota, number two, and adjusted fantasy points allowed to running backs, and he kind of put up a clunker. Uh, he's not going to get any involvement, really, in the passing game. It's all Buck Allen. Uh, next week, they uh, face the Dolphins, who are fifth in adjusted fantasy points allowed to running backs. Um, you know, I, I believe more in the Minnesota numbers than I do in Minnesota, but or in Miami. But Miami's, uh, you know, rushing yards allowed per game are, are pretty low. So uh, this is this is a situation where he'll be ranked in the 30s again uh, on a short week where we've, you know, we've got a number of teams on bye. Maybe he ends up in the low 20s, but. Um, he's more of a standard play than he is at PPR where, where since, you know, Allen's getting all those catches. And finally, I want to talk about the Jets. This is kind of a tough situation because you have Bilal Powell. He had 43 yards on nine carries. He also had two catches for 40 yards, but he saw his workload eaten into by Matt Forte, who played 28 of 56 snaps. So he played on 50% of the, the Jets' offensive snaps against the Dolphins yesterday. He rushed seven times for 41 yards and also added five catches for 41 yards. It looks like the Jets are moving back to that backfield split with both both backs healthy. So that split really didn't generate much fantasy success for for guys, John. Uh, what do you make of the Jets' situation moving forward with Forte and Powell both in the mix? Well, the thing we learned is that Elijah McGuire isn't going to be very involved. At, you know, on a typical day, he only had uh, three three carries for seven yards, and it was you know he played thirteen percent of the snaps, and it was Forte in on fifty percent of the snaps, Powell in on thirty eight percent of the snaps. So, you know, when you combine all their numbers, you know they those two gained one hundred and sixty plus total yards uh so that's like that would be a good day for a you know a lead a normal lead back um you know if he's getting 60 70 percent of the touches now all of a sudden you're looking at a 100 yard day uh but forte 12 touches had the five catches so it looks like he's going to be more involved in the passing game he had five targets uh compared to Bilal Powell's two um but they both gained over 40 yards as receivers and as rushers i, I just went and pulled up the uh, uh the goal line carries for them and Powell got the lone uh, carry from the one-yard line, failed to score on it, uh, and then Josh McCown obviously uh, ran it in um, afterwards. So, and looking over the course of the year, Powell has one, two, three, four carries inside the ten, and Matt Forte has uh, just one. So you're probably looking at Powell as the goal line back, with Matt Forte having uh, more of a role in the passing game, even though they're both both backs are pretty versatile. 
Let's talk about the Monday Night Football game before we sign off. John, you have the Redskins traveling to Philadelphia for a huge NFC East matchup tonight. The Eagles are a five-point favorite, and the over-under is sitting at 49, so one would expect that there's going to be plenty of points uh, put up on the on the scoreboard tonight. Are there any injury concerns that have your eye, and what else are you looking for tonight in Philadelphia? Well, this is uh, – you're going to have – you're gonna have Wendell Smallwood back in the in the Philadelphia backfield probably. So does he does he resume um, the role of Darren Sproles with a little you know a few more carries because he was you know trending upward there before the injury. Uh, so I'm interested to see how much he plays. Uh, Rob Kelly is a game time decision. Uh, I think Chris Thompson we've talked about it and we agree that he's the best running back in that backfield, but he's you know smaller frame and they don't want to overload him. Uh, so they're trying to pick their spots with him. I think he's the best fantasy bet in any given week for the for the Redskins because he's got the uh, the dual threat ability of being able to run and catch the ball. Um, and then the whole Redskins-Washington um, receiving core, like how's it shaking out? Terrell Pryor's been a disappointment. Jamison Crowder, which is the biggest surprise as, being a, 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 as a disappointment, is the biggest surprise because he was – um, the the lone guy that has had a rapport with Kirk Cousins, you know, heading into the year. Um, so, are these two going to get it going? Uh, and then Josh Dotson, is he going to continue to eat into their uh, red zone production? And then what's going on with uh, Jordan Reed? Is he still the player that we um, have seen in years past, where he's probably the number one PPR uh, tight end, or is he still? Uh, injured, or is he just starting to see a downgrade in his you know career downswing and and just not as productive or as explosive as he was in years past? So uh, those are the things I'm looking for. Josh Norman, I think, is questionable. I think he's out. Uh, I don't know if they, oh, they rule him out. Yep. So that's a, that's a boost for Alshon Jeffrey um, in the Philadelphia passing game. So you know, you, Wentz and um, Kirk Cousins are ranked very closely this week uh, on the consensus. So it's interesting to see who who of those two uh, actually score more fantasy points this week. Yeah, you mentioned Jordan Reed. He's made 10 catches for 139 yards and two touchdowns in his last two games at Philadelphia. So he's had some success playing in Philly. I'm I'm interested in him too. I I basically took a leap of faith that maybe he would stay healthy and be very productive. I took him in one league and I probably reached reached for him, uh, John, and he's been a ma- major disappointment, but maybe he can get back on track. Uh, the other the other tight end, Ertz, he's had a monstrous year and he has 54 receptions in nine contests against Washington, including 23 in the first, in the last two games at home. So Ertz might, conti- might continue his toward play. And then the, the other statistic that I thought that was interesting, the Eagles have scored at least 20 points in 10 straight games. That's the league's longest active streak. So the Eagles offense is firing on all cylinders right now, John. Yeah, it's going to be a, it's fun. It's a fun uh, NFC East battle. Definitely. Um, it's one of the better Monday night matchups that we've had recently. So, well, that'll do it for John Paulson and I. You can follow John on Twitter at 444 underscore John. You can follow me at Anthony Stalter. We will, re- we will return on Friday, and in that edition, John will hand out some sneaky starts. We'll go over some latest injury news and just kind of get you ready for the Week 8 action. Uh, and we'll also break down the Thursday night matchup, although I think it's going to be kind of a fantasy dud next week. I believe the Ravens are playing the Dolphins, so um, maybe – Maybe some wide receivers for Miami, John, that you can kind of take a look at. But uh, other than that, we'll break. We'll have the entire breakdown of that game as well. Until then, good luck tonight in your Monday night matchups. For John Paulson, I'm Anthony Stoltz. We'll see you next time on the Most Accurate Podcast.